Hello, welcome to the LifeBridge podcast. We exist to practice the way of Jesus, participating in God's kingdom coming in Dover as it is in heaven. My name is Tyler Saldana and I'm the pastor of our church community. We are so grateful that you're checking out our church's podcast. We pray that the Spirit uses this podcast to encourage you in your following of Jesus. Well, welcome, church. Uh, If you guys are visiting, welcome to LifeBridge Community Church. Uh, We are glad you guys are here this morning, and it's good to see so many Probably a little sleepier faces, right, since we lost an hour. Um, My wife played a horrible trick on me last night, and it was dinner, and it was still pretty light out, and the clock said around seven something, and I was like, what the heck? But she turns the clocks early, because we we had to get the baby going early, and, because Rowan can tell time, right? And needs to see that it's seven, not six. Yeah, anyways, I was really like, what? Lost an hour? So, anyways, really. I was a little frustrated, but uh, it, was, it was for my good. It was for my good. It was for our good. Anyways, well, um, just one announcement before we get into prayer requests. Uh, hey, you got to go back to mama. Go back to mama. Um, announcement coming up June 11th and 12th, Market Guys' calendars. We are doing an Ivana Regional Church Gathering up at Kidron Mennonite. And so it'll be uh, all our um, huddle of Ivana churches in the region will be doing a service together on June 12th in the morning out there. And then there will be, I believe there will be something on June 11th at night, and then there'll be a meal June 12th, and then there'll be one other thing afterwards. The main thing we're encouraging people to be a part of is the multi-church gathering, this regional gathering. I believe a couple, I believe Morgan and Ben are a part of the worship team, and there'll be a just a big collaborative team going on there, and uh, I believe there's an outside speaker. But more details will come, but um, yeah, if you guys are in town, I'm not sure what the vacation rhythms look like here yet, if everyone dips out come June or not, but uh, if you guys are here, love to worship together up there and fellowship with other Ivana churches. Uh, with that being said, how was your guys' weeks? Have we any shout-outs, any appreciation, any, any ways that we've seen God working in your life this week? Morgan. Oh, yeah. You guys are, did you guys do this on purpose, the flannel thing? No. I just want to, I don't know if how many of you guys know, I was in a, a fairly, um, fairly bad accident on Tuesday, automobile accident, and I know. God had his angel there for me. I don't know. It was, it doesn't seem real like it happened, but obviously it was bad enough to know that um, the car is not important. My life was what was really important, and I know God saved my life on Tuesday. So just all the praise to him this morning, and obviously life's going to get back to normal, and obviously keep praising him, um, and obviously my heart goes out to those who do lose people to accidents, automobile accidents every year, so it's definitely a lot of praise, and I felt a lot of support from my family. It's very awesome. I appreciate that. I would not have known. You look, you look great. You look better than I do, and I didn't get in an accident. Dorothy, <laughs> do you need the mic? No. 
Thank you, Brian. Are you going to say something? And now you're up to teach the kids, too. You got all the energy. Wow. My mother, a lot of you know, 85 years old, she was in an accident. They totaled her car. She called me from the hospital, and I said, are you okay? She goes, yeah. I said, you need to call insurance company a lawyer because you don't know how to handle any of this. She goes, why would I call a lawyer? She goes, I feel perfect. And she's in perfect shape, and the other guy's really, really bad shape. And uh, the insurance company had her in a, uh, a rent-a-car like the next day almost, and she's running to play cards the next day at the senior center. Yeah, William's got a boil on his spine. And he's gone in tomorrow. We don't know if he's going to have the Lancet or not, so we'll find out. Tomorrow morning? Okay. Thank you for sharing. We'll be praying for William this morning. Any other stories that we'd like to share? How about any prayer requests? Yes, Crystal. Yes. Hey, Mark. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Sorry for your loss, Mark. Yes. You want the mic, Brian? I want, I want the microphone because if you guys don't use the microphone, the people online cannot hear you. Oh. It's like blank and silence. So anyways, thank you, Dorothy, for the appreciation. Um, I just want to say I feel like I did that for Earl, taking care of his wife a little bit, and uh, it's, you know, it's awesome to do that. For those of you who don't know Earl, Earl was around here for a long time and definitely was a blessing to this church. If you look at that cross, he put it up twice just to make it just right with the lights and everything. And the brick that we took off the back of this building, I want you guys to know that was Earl's idea. That's all I got to say. <laughs> Was, was the brick awful? Or what am I missing there? It was a big project. Oh, okay. Okay. Any other prayer requests? No, no, I don't know about that project. Mark? Oh, here. Beneath the shade. Oh, I don't know. They're making us do it because they us. I'll just pray for the women that's underneath the shade for their recovery. Thank you. Okay. Ooh. Oh. Jay, do you want to have a hand this too? Um, my best friend's mom has brain cancer. Um, we obviously are hoping it gets better. Uh, she's completed a couple of rounds of chemo now and seems to be improving, so God's clearly working. So prayers for their family as they try and navigate a difference in their life. 
Um, I took her to her doctor's appointment for her eye, her right eye, I mean, and it's been bloody, and all they did was give her some drops, which ain't helping. There's a bump on the side of her eye. It's like a blood bump, and they don't know what it is. She's supposed to come back in two weeks, but I might try to get her ready as soon as possible again because it ain't healing up, and I don't want her to go blind. So keep her in prayer. Yes? My truck broke down uh, this week and they towed me to Columbus. And God took a bad situation. It was one of the longest days of my life. At 8 o'clock at night, I decided to walk four miles to a motel. I walked right through the drug section at Tom. I grew up in Youngstown in the streets. It was bad. But. I drive nice cars, I live in a nice place. And, and sometimes you forget, you forget where you come from. And the next day I walked a mile and a half to get a cup of coffee. And a girl come in, I was talking to people in there. I was talking about someone that they knew who was beautiful and a great heart and they finally had to cut her off. And then a girl come in and she asked if she could have a cup of coffee. They said, yeah. And I said, how you doing? She goes, I lived another day. Let us keep these people in our prayers. Even if we come from that, sometimes we forget. And that whole experience, forget the walking and the break, all that kind of stuff. God let me see what I could have been. I guarantee you that. And, and see, if you've never seen that, you don't know. And it's real rebuilding. So I, I was really blessed, no matter what it, the hardship on me, I was blessed to go through that, and I was glad he let me go through that. Right. Thanks, Daryl. Let me pray for us, and then um, dismiss the kiddos and invite our scripture reader up for this morning. Father, we thank you for you. Thank you for letting us rest beneath the shadow of your wings. God, to rest in your arms, to know that we can hide in you, that we can take refuge in you. We thank you for that hope that you've given us, that though, as Daryl said, that you know, some of us may have experienced really difficult lives growing up. And maybe we're even still in it, or we have loved ones in it, um, in a physical manner, in a monetary manner, and, and so forth, environmental manner. But, but let us not also forget that we all are that way, uh, deep in our souls. Um, may we be reminded, Jesus, of your work, that you made a way for us to be made new. And we praise you for new life that has been springing up. We praise you for our own peace made with you, our own renewal made with you. We ask you to hear our prayer requests this morning. We ask for your hands of healing on the sick and the hurting and those who have ailments. Uh, God, we pray for those prayer requests that we were 
uh, cautious or afraid to share in a public manner. God, you know our needs. You know our hearts. But God, more importantly, uh, you are sovereign. You are good. God, you reign now and forever. And so we pray for trust. We pray for faith to trust you in the, in the good and the bad, in the mountains and the valleys, knowing that, God, our lives are not stuck in the desert, but Holy Week is coming. The resurrection is coming. It has come and it is coming. And as we continue into this Lent season, may that patience, may that waiting, may that anticipation May that trust in the desert place that Jesus endured, may that build our trust in you. And may that strip away things that we look to aside from you. We ask this in your name, Jesus, through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm going to dismiss the kiddos and invite Dorothy up for this morning's scripture reading. Genesis 15, 1 to 12, and verses 17 to 18. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, you have given me no offspring, and so a slave born in my house is to be my heir. But the word of the Lord came to him, this man shall not be your heir, no one but your very own issue shall be your heir. He brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and count the stars, if you are able to count them. Then he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. He brought him all these and cut them in two, laying each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and a deep and terrifying darkness descended upon him. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Dorothy. Okay. Very interesting passage that came up in the lectionary this week. 
Um, and some of you might be like, what was that? It's okay, we're going to get into that. Uh, but last Sunday was the first Sunday of Lent. And for some of us, this is our first time through the Lenten season. And we concluded prayerfully with a call to prayerfully ask the Spirit to bring something to our minds that we would like that He would like us to fast from in this season. Something that we could voluntarily deny ourselves for the remaining roughly five and a half weeks, that was last week, so about four and a half left, that would potentially in turn create space for God, for the Spirit to recalibrate our appetites and desires, to point out areas where we've looked to false gods or rival gods. And then we encourage us to do so, to actually partake in the fast and in some manner of life to join Jesus in that desert that we looked at last week in Luke 4. Now, if you began partaking Lent this week in any sort of manner, I'm guessing you felt some sort of withdrawals. I know for me, with my own fast, I had more than a handful of times where uh, the inclination to indulge was nagging. Um, But some of the times, thank God, the Spirit had directed my heart to, and giving that opportunity to direct my heart towards God, to ask Him to point me to Him. What am I looking for in this that you alone, God, can truly satisfy? Now, today is the second Sunday of Lent, and so this morning, the passages, we already read Psalm 27 this morning in the call to worship, but the passages are are kind of, well, it's Genesis 15, which Dorothy just read for us. There's also Luke 13 that we're going to look at, and Philippians 3. Now, normally, kind of zone in on one passage, and we we go through, more going to take the themes for us, of this week being awaiting, anticipation, patience, trust that we see in this week for the Lenten season. And so as we continue towards Holy Week, towards Palm Sunday, and culminating in Resurrection Sunday a week later on Easter, we're going to hopefully stew in God's redemptive story, seeing summaries of how God's worked since the beginning of His people. And so that's why we started with Abraham today. But then we'll also look at a passage in Jesus, and then we'll apply the Philippians passage a little more to us. So, we already read the Genesis 15 passage. I'm going to read the the other two passages briefly. They're pretty quick. So, the other two passages are Luke 13, 31 through 35, and then Philippians 3. We'll turn to there. But Luke 13, 31 through 35 reads... At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to Jesus, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, Go tell that fox for me, Listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day, I must be on my way, because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you. And I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. 
And then lastly, the Philippians 3 passage, Philippians 3, verse 17. Paul writes, brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. For many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. I have often told you of them, and now I tell you even with tears. Their end is destruction. Their God is the belly, and their glory is in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and it is from there that we are expecting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humiliation that it may be conformed to the body of his glory by the power that also enables him to make all things subject to himself. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the way, or in the Lord in this way, my beloved. So, we're going to circle around to each passage. First point, God makes covenants with his people. We're looking at the Genesis passage, and I'm just going to do, for those of us who are not familiar with some big picture redemptive storylines, we're going to kind of jump. So we're going to start with the main one, Abraham, Father Abraham, and then we're going to jump to Jesus and Philippians. Now, with the Genesis passage in 15, it was kind of odd, some of the things that, Jesus, that God has Abraham do for the sake of their relationship. But if you turn back to Genesis 12, this is rooted in the promise that eventually becomes a covenant that God makes with Abraham. Now, Abraham, at this point, his name is Abram. God later changes his name after the covenant. But in, in chapter 12, verse 1, the writer writes, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you... All the families of the earth shall be blessed. Note the blessing. Note the promise. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Similarly, in chapter 15, we had a similar blessing that a few chapters later, God reiterates to Abram. He says in verse 5, Abram's doubting, but God says, Look toward heaven and count the stars. If you are able to count them, so shall your descendants be. He tells him, Don't be afraid. In verse 1, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. There's this promise. And then lastly, again a few chapters later in chapter 17, this is when the covenant is initiated by God. This is what we call the Abrahamic covenant. And so covenant, if we're unfamiliar with this term, it's kind of a Christianese term. Uh, we don't really use this word elsewhere in society anymore. Uh, it's more of an agreement. Uh, marriage is seen as the covenant of marriage. It is this bond that comes together, marriage being a shadow of God's covenant with humanity. Hence why God, the church, is called the bride, and Jesus is called the bridegroom. And so this sign of the covenant in chapter 17, God again promises to Abram a blessing. He continues to reiterate 
the blessing that he started in verse 12. That through him, all the nations of the world will be blessed. In verse 6, I'll make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings shall come from you. I'll establish my covenant between me and you, your offspring, and throughout your generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Just keeps going. But essentially the covenant being that you will be my people, I will be your God. Similarly, with the passage in Luke, in Luke's gospel, they are familiar with the promise as well. Going back to this promise with Father Abraham, but at the beginning of Luke's gospel, we talked about this in Advent, in Luke 1, 31-33. I'll read it to you. The angel tells Mary, when she's becoming pregnant with Jesus, says, and now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. And here's the key. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So similar to Abram, the Pharisees in Jesus' day are aware of these promises of God. And really, they, they hear this, this proclamation of Jesus, and they hear remnants of the covenant that God made with Abram. That God would make a nation, that he would make him into a king. And so similarly, that's what they're anticipating. And then us too, in Philippians 3, that same passage that we read earlier, there's a promise as well. We've been promised much. Much. We too are the heirs of, um, to the promises of God to Abram, of God's people and all of creation. Paul writes, our citizenship is in heaven. It's from there that we are expecting a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is one of only five instances where Paul uses this word savior for Jesus. And in verse 21, he says, he will transform the body of our humiliation that may be conformed to the body of his glory and by the power that also enables him to make all things subject to himself. Similarly here, we're being promised both our Savior, our redemption, but also the transformation, the restoration of all things. Namely, primarily in our bodies, but death, decay, darkness will be no more. The problem is we are often people of little faith. And so again, when we go back to Abram, you just walk through those, that story if you're unfamiliar, and God makes that, he calls Abram for no reason other than he calls him. He just says, I called you. And he says, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. All the families of the earth will be blessed through your bloodline. But then a few verses later, he doubts. And what does he do? Him and his wife are in a strange land. And he knows that someone might kill him so they could take his wife. And so he says, tell them that you're my sister. Doubts manifest. Similarly, in the passage we read, that Dorothy read, that there is again the promise, the reassurance of the reward 
But Abram has a doubt. Again, in verse 3, he says, You have given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house is to be my heir. He's like, God, this is the fourth chapter since you told me that you're going to give me a son and a lineage and fulfillment and prosperity and so on. You're not coming through, so looks like you don't mean what you say. So because I don't have a son, all my stuff is going to go to one of my slaves. And then you just keep going down the line. It's again with the Abrahamic covenant in 17. Abraham does it again. He again enters another land and, well, he has a son with another woman because, well, he didn't trust God to give him a son. And then he again tells people that his wife is his sister, so his life will be, not be taken. So in this story, we see a misunderstanding that Abram is misunderstanding God's promise, how it will come to fruition, what the reward really means, how it will come, become manifest in his life. He heard God, but he didn't understand him. There's a doubt of God's great reward that God would do what he said he would do. And then because of this, it distracts Abram from the call that God has on his life, the mission for his life. It deters him from that. God wasn't working in Abram's timetable or in the way he envisioned it. So what does Abram do? He continues to try to take it into his own hands. Does he really have belief or is he doubting here over and over again? C.S. Lewis in A Grief Observed wrote, you'd never know how much you really believe anything until its truth or falsehood becomes a matter of life and death to you. It is easy to say you believe a rope to be strong and sound as long as you are merely using it to cord a box, but suppose you had to hang by that rope over a precipice. Wouldn't you then discover, first discover how much you really trusted it? When the moment is on the line, when Abram's faith is on the line, over and over again he doubts. There is a point later on where it is not so. But over and over again, including this passage, he is impatient, not waiting. He's misunderstood how God's promise will be fulfilled. Similarly, in the Luke passage, the Pharisees come to Jesus and they're like, hey, you're getting popular. These guys are coming after you. You're on your way to Jerusalem. You're going to go become king. But Herod is threatened by you. Herod of Rome, he knows. He knows this guy. I need to, I need to kill this guy because there's a little revolt stirring up in the backwoods of my, of my nation. And so they're like, you need to run. You need to flee. What do we know now on this side of Jesus? Well, we know that they misunderstood God's promises too. That his kingdom would reign forever. And what happens? There's doubt for them. They fear that Herod can and will thwart the plans of God if Jesus doesn't run. If Jesus doesn't flee. The Pharisees want Jesus to run from the opposition out of fear that they will inhibit the coming kingdom, the inauguration of Jesus as king of the earth. 
See, they thought he was going to be an earthly king. They thought he was going to take a throne, take over Rome, redeem God's people. God said, no, I think you're misunderstanding how my promise is going to manifest in your lives. And so for us, too, having looked at the beginning of God's people, Abraham and Sarah, and all the ways that that Jesus in the ancient Near East, we see that humanity's lack of faith in God's providence didn't change, right? Abraham is thousands of years before Jesus. And now us, we're thousands of years away from Jesus. And I don't know if any of us would say we trust God that much more. That when the moment is on the line, it is tough to trust him. Our fears, our doubts can surface in our hearts and in our minds. Not always. But I don't know about you, for me, a lot of the time. But that's why Paul wrote in Philippians 3.18, he says, For many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. These people at this time... They're believing, up until this point, believing that, no, I'm no longer justified by, I don't have to do all these things to earn my place before God. But now as the going's gotten tough, they're starting to resort back, saying, no, I need to make up for my mistakes. I need to atone for my sins. And he's saying, no, that's an enemy of the cross of Christ. Because if you think the cross was not enough for you, you are opposed to it. If you think Jesus on the cross didn't do enough for you, you're opposed to it. And he continues, I've often told you of them, and now I tell you even with tears, their end is destruction, their God is the belly, and their glory is in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. The apostle's pointing out something very important here. At the heart of our lack of trust, our true gods are exposed. At the heart of our lack of trust, our true gods are exposed. Our belly, our appetites, is what that means. We want God to give us what we want in our timing, in our own way, in the way we want it. And we're no different, are we? When we approach God like this, we are not approaching him as king of the universe. We're actually approaching him as our servant. And when he doesn't deliver on our requests or demands, we, like Abram, try to take it into our own hands. Because we can't trust God on our own to do what we asked him to do and do it the way we want it to be done. No ifs, ands, or buts. Just get it done for me, God, and I'll worship you. I can't tell you how many times I prayed that as a teenager. God, make this happen and I'll believe in you. God, make this happen and I'll believe in you. That's making God my servant rather than me submitting my life to the God of the universe, knowing he's good, he knows what's right, he knows what's good for me, he knows what is best for all of creation. Or like the Pharisees, we run from the apparent danger. Because we can't see through the fog of life. We go into protection mode, holding on to things too tightly. Um, Parents, this is a very easy example for us, right? As our kids grow up, it's a little hard to loosen the grip, right? Because i got to protect them. 
Maybe it's like that with our possessions or any sort of relationships or friendships. I know God might be calling me to give this up, but if I let this go, I don't have control. Guess what? We don't have control. (laughs) How has this looked for us as individuals, households, and a family of faith at LifeBridge? Well, how has our doubts manifest? Well, I'm new to the congregation, um, but I can give you my own personal accounts of how this has looked for my life. But before we answer that question, I, I think it would be helpful, just like Abraham was aware of his mission, just like the Pharisees were aware of God's mission in Jesus. What is our mission of the church? It's in Matthew 28. It is simple, to go and make disciples. Form disciples. Preach the gospel and help people who don't know Jesus meet and follow him to find their life, their purpose, their meaning, their hope, their identity in him and help them live a life practicing the way of Jesus. How do we do that? Well, we follow Jesus. And what did Jesus do? Well, John 1.14 is my favorite verse on how Jesus did this. John writes, And the Word became flesh and lived among us. Sit in that. That the Word of God took on humanity. That's heavy. Because, you see, how did God come to reach a certain people? He went to them. And he went and looked like them, became like them, walked amongst them, lived amongst them, worked alongside them. This is what we call incarnational ministry, an incarnational mission. I love the message translation of this. Eugene Peterson says, The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Dwelt among us. He moved into the neighborhood. I love that heart behind that. That in order to reach a certain community or to be a witness and a light in a certain community, we are to be amongst that community. The way that Jesus came to reach a particular people, he became like them and lived amongst them. So, let's go back to the question. How have we been doing in regards to our mission? What do we like? And um, let's, in your own minds and hearts, I mean, you've been here longer. Do an honest, prayerful assessment of ourselves as we go forward as a church community. Here's a couple things I've noted as I've encountered and and heard stories from, from you guys on the church history and where we've come in the last few years. We are servants. There's a big culture of serving one another and serving people in need. That's a beautiful thing to be the hands and feet of Jesus in that manner. To give up our time, our energy, our our riches for one another. That's a beautiful, lovely, honorable thing. Another interesting note, while we are a church in Dover, 
if you take account, we actually have very few households in Dover anymore. We've kind of spread out. We've scattered. That's, that's where we're at at the moment. Or even in Philly. I'm not above this. I'm in Strasbourg. That's a reality. So the question coming, you know, how do we do incarnational ministry in an area that God has us or that we are being a local church in when we are not necessarily immediately involved? And what does that look like for us? Does God want us to look more in our neighborhoods, our places of work, or do we find ways to intentionally be in the community God has us to be a light of? What does incarnational ministry look for us at LifeBridge? Typically, when measuring the health of a local church, um, Tom Rayner is kind of the, the main guy in American evangelicalism on, on church health metrics. And I, I hesitate to use church health metrics just because how can you put a metric on the Spirit of God and how he's worked? But in general, it is helpful to take it with caution. But when he measures, and customarily when, when a lot of church health metrics measure, we typically look at a couple things. Births, marriages, new members. When's the last time we've had any of those? When's the last time we've had any of those? Um, that's a lot. That's something for us to figure out. You know, how, how are we reaching? We do a lot of great in in the walls, in our family of faith, how are we reaching to those who don't know Jesus? How are we reaching out to those who don't know Jesus? And we have some of those. I, I will get to that. I'm not saying we're all, but this is something that's come up in conversations with those of you who have been here, some of you, from the beginning. In the last three to five years, we've seen a shrink in more than half of our members. We previously were a church for primarily made up of unchurched people, people who didn't grow up in church, uh, but now we're largely people who we all, a lot of us grew up in Christian culture. It's evolved, it's changed. This isn't bad or good, I'm just, this is just understanding who we are, our characteristics. The more we understand us, the more we can figure out and discern how does the Spirit of God want to use us here and now in this place, in this city, in this, in this community, and up until the end of last summer, from, from my understanding, we hadn't seen a new member in quite a few years. And so for that, for us, when we, when we take that into account with this passage, with being on mission, how are these indicators for us that we as individuals in a community of faith have either tried to take things into our own hands or maybe even ran or misunderstood the mission for us? I don't have specifics. I really don't because I'm new. Still figuring it out, too. So still prayerfully trying to listen and hear your stories, your recollections of why you're here, what you envision, trying to get a grasp of what the Spirit wants to do in and through LifeBridge. Nor am I above this. This is something we all have to prayerfully be seeking the Spirit's leading on. But some, some prodding questions, some dissecting questions for us are, how have we taken things into our own hands because we didn't like the way God was doing things? How have we maybe, yes, COVID, but even prior to COVID, how have we looked more inward? How have we gone more on the retreat or just hold things a little tightly because 
things are getting out of control or a little out of my comfort zone? How have we gone into protection mode and run from the mission field? Or maybe ran to another field that isn't where God wants us or has us. Maybe we've taken on too much. How have we retreated from the city? And, and to preface, this doesn't mean those of us who live further out are off mission. No, you can be very on mission. Your mission could be out there where you are at, or your mission can be somehow creatively in your vocation, or where you shop, or where you eat and dine, and so forth, where you do community outside of LifeBridge community in um, this area or in your own city. But these are things we need to be asking of ourselves as we move forward. And again, in this Lenten season, asking the Spirit, opening up room for the Spirit to speak to us, for them to give us insight, renewed, fresh vision, fresh joy in Jesus, and mission, heart for our neighbors. Before we get into some specific ideas, here's the reality. It doesn't depend on us. As much as God wants us to be a part of things, God's kingdom is going to go forth whether we're on board or not. The illustration I love is that God is like a father chopping a ton of firewood, blocks of wood, for the winter season, and there's a little son who comes out and is just like, I want to help dad. The reality is, dad's got it on his own, but enjoy, wants his son to learn and be a part of it. But if the son leaves, if he, you know, gets distracted, runs off, the wood's still going to get chopped. But if you're a parent, or if you uh, are a teacher, or any sort of um, a grandparent, any uncle, aunt, when you are training someone, when you are helping foster and grow someone, what joy it is to pass on skill, knowledge, understanding, wisdom, right? It is a joy to see them get it, to see them start doing it and partaking and being a part of it, whether it be a trade or a service. And so similarly, God's kingdom is coming, whether we are on board or not. It's here and it's coming. And we're invited to be a part of that. That third point being God is faithful still. Even in all these passages in regards to Abram, in regards to Abram running, Abram trying to take things into his own hands, guess what? God's co- he still fulfilled his covenant. We see that in Galatians 3, Paul wrote that for in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's no longer Jew or Greek. There's no longer slave or free. There's no longer male and female, for you are all one in Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, here you go, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Poor Abraham wanted the promise to be fulfilled then. In Paul's writing, you know, in the, in the first century, hey, you guys are now heirs. And guess what? We're, we're heirs now too. So the promise is still being fulfilled. I don't know if Abram had enough patience in him to see the fulfillment. I don't think he had enough vision and understanding to see the grand masterpiece that God was painting. But we are heirs of that promise still. And in the end, we'll see that, that, you know, 
In Revelation 7-9, the writer writes, After this, you know, seeing this taste of the future, I looked and there was a great multitude that no one could count. From where? From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the thrones and before the Lamb, robed in white, with palm branches in their hands. Again, the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham and the palm branches being a shadow of ushering in the king, just like Palm Sunday in a few weeks. Them too are ushering in the king once and for all. Similarly, for the Pharisees, God is faithful in that, in that time too. Jesus' face was set to Jerusalem regardless of what, whether or not they were like, hey, you need to run or we're afraid. This isn't, this isn't working out. Jesus was set to Jerusalem. He was going to the garden. He was going to the cross. He was going to the tomb. He was going to defeat sin, Satan, death. He was going to bring new life. That's why Paul writes, and lastly in that Philippians passage, God is faithful for us, for his promise to us that new life has come and is coming. That's why Paul says our citizenship is in heaven. We don't have to worry about what our identity is here on earth so much. We don't have to be so locked up in it because our identity is secure in Christ. And it is from there that we are expecting a savior. He will transform the body of our humiliation. He will renew all things. He will give us new life. Those of us who, some of us experience deep physical ailments, some of us experience deep mental, emotional ailments. He will renew all things. The promise of the resurrection is the foretaste of the future. The new life it has come and will come. And that's why Paul ends with, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm. Stand firm in, this, in the Lord. In this way, my beloved. Stand firm. You see, Abram, the Pharisees, they were still trying to stand on their own grounds. And us too. We try. How often we try. We may not even realize it, but we're still often resorting back to our, our innate inclination to stand not so firmly on our own lives. But no, Paul is saying because God has kept his promise, because God does make a way, he has made a way, stand firm in Jesus. Trust him. And so for us here at LifeBridge, there is hope for us. There is hope for the people of Jesus. And while we perhaps have endured maybe a desert season in the last few years, and it's been tough, and I don't understand it. I know about some stories, but I don't understand it. I wasn't there. I wasn't a part of it. But we endured some difficult times outside of COVID, even just in-house hurts. But while we have endured that desert, perhaps Resurrection Sunday is coming. Perhaps new life is coming. And that's what this Lenten season points us to. 
That new life has come and it is coming. That's why we do this annually, because we are awaiting, we are anticipating in that reasonable hope because of the resurrection that Jesus will continue to bring new life here in our own uh, hearts, our own households, our own neighborhoods, our, own, our church community. And so we long for that. We pray for that. We've seen new life. We've seen new life, tons of new life through beneath the shade already. We've seen new life in our youth and young adults, many being baptized last summer. We've seen glimmers of hope. We've seen new life. Therefore, let us stand firm. Let us not take matters into our own hands because we don't like the way God is working or we don't get it. Let us not retreat to the hills of our hearts and minds and disengage from where the people are, but let us find ways to love our neighbors, love our cities that we live in, love our places of work and our grocers and our barbers, Find ways to be actively involved in how God is bringing his kingdom here in our cities as it is in heaven. Dave Kinnaman, he's um, the leader of the Barna Group, which is just the, the leader in uh, church research, um, in particular Christian sociology. But he writes, being salt and light demands two things. We practice purity in the midst of a fallen world and yet we live in proximity to this fallen world. If you don't hold up both truth in tension, you invariably become useless and separated from the world God loves. So it's that idea that Jesus said, that he prayed for his people to be in the world, but not of it. How easy it is for us to retreat. Retreat is not bad in and of itself. Jesus retreated. Often throughout the Gospels, Jesus retreated to a quiet place to refuel and re-engage. We don't retreat to just sit back and, 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 and that's it. No, we retreat to refuel and to re-engage on mission in our community, in our places of work, in our kids' schools, in whatever it may be. Re-engage to make disciples, to tell people who don't know Jesus about him. And this is hard. It is, it is hard work. Um, I haven't worked a public sector job in a few years, and so taking on just those couple shifts a week at Chipotle is just an interesting thing because, you know, you're just reminded of people who have a different hope, have a different identity, or may not have it. Um, who are struggling and working that out, like we all do and are at times. But it's just interesting to rub shoulders with people of a different worldview again. It's refreshing, but it is interesting. It's hard, it can be tricky. Be, man, what do I say, what do I not say? Is that a hill to die on? Is that a, let it slide? Is that a, yeah, what, what do I do? Spirit, help me. Francis Chan writes of this tricky endeavor, God doesn't call us to be comfortable He calls us to trust him so completely that we are unafraid to put ourselves in situations where we will be in trouble if he doesn't come through. So for us here, for you, 
Where is the Spirit of God calling you to stand firm? To not retreat, to not disengage, but to stand firm, to be light in darkness, to be on mission, to build relationships with those who don't know Jesus, to be love incarnate, to take on incarnational ministry. There's a lot of avenues. There's a lot of ways we can be creative in this. And everybody's life is going to look different on how this works. But for us, we have to be on mission as Jesus followers. Whether it be your place of work, whether you're in customer service and you're encountering people daily and you're, and you're building relationships, you're, you're learning regulars' names, things of that sort, or maybe it's just you're only going to know your coworkers. But man, maybe your place of work is all Christian people. That can be fine. Where's your avenue? Where's your avenue that you are meeting people who do not know Jesus? I like to call one, one avenue that I like to focus on is called missional consumerism. Um, I don't know if anyone said that before, but I like to go to the same place multiple times a week. That's just what I do, and I try and get to know them. So the same coffee shop, the same restaurant, or uh, grocery stores, things of that sort. Try and make find regulars, and I specifically try to find, honestly, I've gone into places before and I find out, oh, they're a Christian or, or um, they're already in a church, and I'm like, okay, I don't need to come here. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go find another avenue, because for me, this is my avenue that I like to engage with people, is where I shop or eat. That's for me. Maybe it's for you, too. Um, maybe it's in some sort of youth your, your children's sports activities, or maybe you don't have kids, but you can volunteer in some sort of manner of that way, or some sort of you know, artistic area in the community, whatever it may be, where can you find ways to creatively use your passions, your desires, the way God's uniquely made you to rub shoulders with people who do not know Jesus? We've got to have avenues, all of us. We've, we've just got to. That's our calling, to go make disciples. And, it, and it's, it's scary, it's tricky. It can feel dangerous, it can feel daunting, it can feel intimidating. Elizabeth Elliot said this, though, that of God's faithfulness. God is God. Because he is God, he's worthy of my trust and obedience. I will find rest nowhere but in his holy will that is unspeakably beyond my largest notions of what he is up to. And Corey Ten Boom writes, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Perhaps in this time or in this season, you know, God's exposing some things for you, helping us see and I don't have a way to, I don't know anyone by name that doesn't know Jesus, that isn't a part of some church. Help me. Perhaps the Spirit is helping you see that. And if you need ways or ideas, we are a church community. Let's talk together about ways that we can rub shoulders with people who don't know Jesus. Because if we truly believe Abraham's promise is for all of us that everyone will be blessed People from all the nations of the world will be blessed through and be heirs of Abraham's promise. 
Namely, Jesus is that fulfillment. Jesus is the eventual heir coming through Abraham's bloodline. And if we really believe that, if we really believe that Jesus is worth it, that God is God, man, let's live our lives in a way and endeavor to find ways to let other people know the hope that we have in Christ. I'm going to invite Aaron up to conclude this morning. As we wrap up, as we continue forth in this season, I hope that we find our hope not in potentially the lack of mission that we've been on or to see the valley that we've been in, whether it be collectively or individually in our household or, or our own work, or man, we haven't been focused on, on sharing Jesus with others. Perhaps I, I don't have, I'm in a desert place in my own soul with Jesus. I don't feel the joy of him anymore. I'm just kind of in a dry, weary place. Man, spend this time just praying, sitting, listening, just hearing the words sing out. Asking the Spirit to, to restore the joy of your salvation. This is, not un, this is not unfamiliar to you. We all deal with this. King David, over and over again in the Psalms, is in a dry and weary place. He needs to be refreshed. He needs his joy in Jesus to be rekindled. But don't find your hope, and, I, and more importantly, don't be condemned potentially at man. This has not been good or man, I've been missing it, or whatever it may be. Remember, whether we do this or not, God's still God. He's still king. His kingdom has come and is coming. But no, find your hope in knowing that God is faithful. God is good. You are an heir to the covenant of Abraham. You are an heir to Jesus and the promises that God has given to us in him. And may that be the fire in your soul that ignites you to joyfully go out and seek to tell people about Jesus, seek to make disciples of all people. I'm going to read a prayer for us, and then there will be an opportunity for just silent prayer for a few moments, and then um, we will continue on in musical worship. Before I read the prayer, just a reminder that in this time, it's an opportunity for prayerful reflection, maybe on what we talked about this morning, on the songs, on what the Spirit might be teaching you or calling you to. It's a time for heartfelt confession, asking God for help, just owning our shortcomings. It's a time for sacrificial giving, so the mission of LifeBridge goes forward. It's a time for joyful singing. And just a reminder, we have physical baskets, but we also have the app that we utilize on Church Center. Let me read to us our prayer. Lord Jesus, you send us out into the world in your name, but we prefer to stay safely behind. We are nervous and can be unmotivated and uncertain of our place. We can love to think about how you love us, but we are much more reluctant to show that love to others. 
It is especially hard to care for those who challenge, insult, or disrespect us. Strengthen us, God. Strengthen us that we would live up to your call to love even our enemies. Forgive us for our sins, these and all others, as we continue to pray in silence. When we find ourselves without hope, we can pray along with the psalmist. Should I say, yes, the darkness will envelop me, and the light around me become night? Darkness itself will not darken for you, and the night will light up like the day, for darkness is as light to you, Lord. Thanks for tuning in to the LifeBridge podcast. For more information about our church, please visit lifebridgedover.org. There you'll be able to find out more about the church community, our ministries, ways to get involved, recommended resources, and to give. Be sure to subscribe to receive new episodes directly into your podcast feed. While we are glad that you're checking out our podcast feed, we believe that the New Testament teaches that church worship is to be experienced weekly, in person, within your local church community. Thus, we encourage you to either join us in person for Sunday morning worship or to find and commit to a local gospel-centered church community in your neighborhood. Thanks.